we're going to move to an infinitely more digital world that's more immersive. You know, we're so used to looking at screens as our primary source of information. Screens and lenses are going to be our layer with which we augment our physical experience. And so I think we're headed to like an extended or mixed reality type experience that feels more natural and that has a greater degree of utility in everything we do. Welcome to this week's episode of Digital Surfing, the podcast that dives into digital leaders' successes and failures as they ride the wave of a career in digital business. I'm your host, Darren Smith, and today we have Jared Carneson, who is the Senior Vice President and Senior Partner for Media and Platforms at Fleischmann Hillard, which is a leading PR agency around the world. One of my favorite things in the conversation today with Jared is talking about Web3, you can actually see how many times he mentions it in the podcast itself. And then we dive into the world of privacy and how this impacts personalization. Both of these trends are big on the internet at the moment, big in digital, and we see how they come together. Let's get straight into it with Jared. Thanks for joining me today, Jared, and joining from West Coast in the US, right? That's correct, yeah. How did you end up there? I've been with Fleischmann Hiller, the agency that I'm with, it's going on a decade now. And they opened up an opportunity. It's always been really open to like the secondments and these moves internally within the company. And so if there's a role overseas, you're able to take that journey. Initially, we spent about two years in the Middle East. So we were in Dubai, which was just the most incredible experience. I also got to do some work in Saudi Arabia out there. And then an opportunity arose to come out and lead what we call the media and platforms team out here in, in San Francisco. And I jumped at it and as I think four years ago, and we haven't really looked back. It's, it's now San Francisco's home. Awesome. And I believe you don't have a car. Now, is this something only that you've done in the US or was it something you did before then? No, it's something I did way before then in South Africa. So I've always hated driving. I hate the traffic. I hate the stress of it. I'm a terrible driver. I'm very careful. Like when I drive, it really irritates my wife who likes to drive actually. And so I just got rid of the car as soon as like Uber became a viable thing. I did all the math and I was like car payments and service and fuel and the economies just worked out given that we were headed in the same direction. And so I could catch a lift and whenever I was going to a meeting, I could use a ride share. And so I haven't looked back. And then obviously moving countries, you've got to go for your license in almost all of them. And so it just made sense to stay Uber bound or Lyft bound. I really haven't looked back. It gives me a chance to like work in the back. And so I can use that time more productively instead of being super stressed out. There's a lot of people that look at the future and analysts and that type of thing that are saying, you know, people won't own cars in the future. It sounds like you would support that notion, right? Oh, absolutely. So some of the clients we work with are looking to enter that zero emissions, zero traffic accidents, autonomous driving world. So if you think about it, there's so much more you can do with all of that space that takes up parking. Parking is like the worst to search for. I think if anything, just for the parking, no cars, you get dropped off, you get picked up on time. At the moment now, there's a company out here, Cruise, that you can actually book your first autonomous ride in San Francisco and go for a driverless ride. I'm looking forward to that. I hope it's not as far away as, as I think it is. I sold my car in the pandemic when I realized that I had to keep on starting it and then driving it around the block every second day. And eventually I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to use this car again. Best thing ever. I'm certainly using a bicycle a whole lot more recently. So 
in preparation for today, you mentioned bandwagonism. What is that? Bandwagonism. So being in digital, there's always something new. There's always a new channel that emerges and you'll have a whole bunch of agencies spin up around this one specific channel, this one specific impetus in the industry. We saw it with social, we've seen it with digital, going all the way back to like the mommy blogger days, right? So people will hop on something, they'll spin up a solution for it, and then it'll change over time. And so people tend to focus on the practice of things instead of the principle of things. So I've always been a firm believer of if you focus on solid principles of good communication, you'll never be out of business. So things like content will always exist. It's amorphous. It exists right across the flow of everything. And so if you focus on content instead of each of the specific channels that that content fills, you'll always be in business. You'll just have to adapt as you go, opposed to a lot of social specific agencies now shifting. And we have things like a lot of metaverse conversation and Web3 conversation coming up. All of a sudden, the metaverse feels like this tangible reality for a lot of folks. But you know, we're a good five to 10 years out from a true metaverse, like hardware adoption, hardware development, essentially too. There are a ton of agencies talking metaverse and there's conflicting opinions on it. Some people feel it's here. Some people feel for a true metaverse, it's a long way out. It all depends on how you define it. But one thing is certain is that it is filling headlines. It is filling agency boardrooms, people having a ton of conversations on it. You are almost a heretic if you stand up and say like, we're not really in a metaverse, but you know, if you want to do something more immersive with VR and AR. And so that's kind of where I couch the bandwagonism thing is, is like, and it can be quite damaging. You know, before you've kind of netted out the reputational implications, the feasibility of it all, people are diving headfirst, which is great. It's a great way to kind of move forward, but move forward with smart risks in mind and you'll always be good. So are you seeing companies, not just agencies, but companies go, right, we need to get into the metaverse as an example. And they're doing it for no real reason, just because it is the cool thing at the moment. Is that kind of what you mean Oh, absolutely. I mean, you see a lot of that, right? And, and some of that is valuable in terms of rapid prototyping, exploring the space, but you're getting a lot of people who are diving into stuff without any utility. So if you look at NFTs and Web3, the concept of an NFT, this non-fungible token extends way beyond just art. And so that smart contract is capable of so much more but you'll have a whole bunch of brands come in and start generating widgets, right? Really quickly to be first, to grab those headlines, when it can with their agency, whatever it's going to be, opposed to like truly understanding, okay, this is a whole new space. Web3 is the future. How do we engage with Web3 in a way that there is some longevity and that we're going to be able to build a sustainable roadmap? to how we engage going forward, opposed to let's drop something, let's do a cool campaign that spins up some buzz and some hype, and then you move on, right? And that's the damaging piece, because now a lot of people are like, well, you know, what's a board ape? What does that actually mean? And at the end of the day, there's so much more to it that we're robbing people of or the general consumers of, because we're just dropping widgets instead of a robust plan for how we engage. Okay, so let me just dive in a little bit more on this web 3.0. There are quite a few definitions floating around. How do you define it? Web 3 is essentially the next iteration of the internet. 
and it's based on token economics. It's a web that is decentralized. It's going to put power back in the hands of creators and remove it from corporations. Data privacy, ownership, access, these are all important parts of what will make up Web3. There have been some shifts in the definition of Web3. Some folks have seen Web3 as like immersive, an immersive environment, but hearkening back to the days of Web1, 1.0 to 2.0, we've moved from an information economy to a user-generated share economy or social economy. And now we're moving to the token economy, which is going to put privacy at the heart of it. And it's going to be a much better environment for creators. And so Web3 essentially is going to realize some of what Web 1.0 set out to do in a more robust way. It's almost like Web2 was essential and critical, but some of the challenges in Web2 are going to be resolved in Web3. That's the dream. If there's a brand manager or somebody listening to this right now and they think, okay, well, I want to jump onto this Web3 bandwagon, (laughs) what does it actually look like? What should companies be looking to do? So there are a number of different ways in, right? Everything from decentralized apps to decentralized social, there are a ton of ways in, just like the internet itself, right? There's like a protocol layer, there's an app layer, there's a utility layer. And so people are diving in at all different parts of it. But The first piece is to gain as much knowledge as you can. We're at a really critical tipping point. We're already starting to see some Web3 functionality creep in. So anyone who's familiar with like a crypto wallet, anything that you're signing through your wallet, you're engaging in a Web3 experience. And so think about never having to sign in and remember all those passwords, but just like verifying all your access through the wallet, right? That's kind of the first step of Web3. There are others that are doing really interesting things like with DSO, so decentralized social. Think about the whole social web, all the content that's ever created being etched into the blockchain. And so it's verifiable from the point of creation all the way through that where that content travels. It's going to be unchangeable and unassailable ownership of that content. You can monetize memes. You could you can monetize whatever you create. It doesn't belong to the company anymore. And so what you create, you hold. And that's going to be a really interesting development, for example, the creator economy, for the influence type sphere. There's so much. Depending on what business you're in, there's a jumping on point and a a unique journey for you into Web3. Okay, I think we could stick on this for really long, but there's one thing that really piqued my interest there. You said that I will not have to remember passwords. How does that work? That may be an overstatement because you will have to remember passwords, but essentially when you hold a wallet as like a browser extension, as an access point on your phone, right? You have this wallet identity within the blockchain. Everything you do in Web3 is signed and verified by your wallet. So you want to change your username, signed and verified by your wallet. So you have to verify that transaction every single time. Now the wallets work with password security. They normally have like a long keyword phrase of like 10 or, or 20 random generated words that you'd have to remember. And that's in the event of like complete lockouts, you have that phrase, you can get access and you obviously have a password to access your wallet, but you won't need an an individual password for Facebook, for Twitter, for whatever. You just sign in with your wallet wherever you go. So that's kind of your access key. And every action you take is signed by the wallet. So it's anonymous, but it's also verified action and ownership. So there's accountability in the web. No more trolls digging in and and tearing someone apart. So it's a bit of a more accountable web too, even though there is that layer of anonymity. Sounds good to me. I can't remember any of my passwords. If I only have to remember one, that sounds good. 
All right. So we've spoken about quite a broad range of stuff already, but I want to get your opinion on the biggest challenge that you see at the moment in the industry. But I feel like we need to just define which industry you would be giving me that challenge for. Is it digital as a whole, social, Web3, CRM? What industry and what is that big challenge you think that's facing at the moment? You know, I think everything's so interconnected that you can carve these pieces out individually, but just we live in such a digital world. I think within digital communication and social communication, the biggest challenge we face is the disillusion of trust. I think from the disillusion of trust, we have a number of pervasive issues. There's that piece. And then there is the debate between privacy and utility, right? You have to give up a degree of privacy for a personalized experience. You can't have a personalized experience without sacrificing some of that privacy. And if you don't have a personalized experience, you're bombarded with information. There's just so much out there to consume. And so you have to trust the sources you're getting that information from. I think we'll look back at what happened with Cambridge Analytica as, as a real turning point for almost an, a point of illumination that eliminated where the trust dissolution happens within digital communication. And I think that's what has been the impetus to kind of accelerate Web3 comms is to move to a place that's infinitely grounded in trust. And so I think that's the biggest issue we're facing at the moment, particularly from a communication standpoint. Verified sources, information sources, moving from a first to correct based reporting structure is what we're looking to get to. And I think once we solve that issue, the sky's the limit for where everything goes. It's really interesting for me because I'm in the CRM space and that's all about creating highly personalized experiences. Just try to stand out from the crowd. But then on the other hand, you've got this other trend of privacy and not letting the, the companies and the brands know your data. So some people are saying the future is in further personalization and others are saying the future is in privacy. So how do those come together where you can provide highly personalized experiences, but with not giving away your data? That's the interesting challenge we're facing. And, and it's one that we hope that something like Web3 can solve because you're signing in through the wallet. There's that degree of anonymity your whole web persona has the personalized experience. You get the information you want, when you want it, it's personalized to you, but without hopefully giving away a ton of your personal data, as well as your personal data becomes a marketable asset, just like it is now, except we're kind of, we use a free service and our data is the price we pay for that service, right? Like anything and everything you use. And I feel like I've said Web3 a thousand times on this, but it's like my latest, greatest obsession I've been focused on it out of the corner of my eye for the longest time, but 2022 has been with the advent of NFTs and the metaverse swirl, we're now in an accelerated path into Web3. But it sounds like that's coming down to be the solution to everything. It isn't. I think we're still going to deal with those kind of privacy versus personalization concerns. I think for a lot of people, they don't even understand the trade-off, right? From my smart devices listening to me to why doesn't it understand my accent? Well, those two things are intricately related, right? Or why is this not understanding and serving up relevant information to me? Why am I getting all of this irrelevancy? Well, that's also linked to your personal information. It's a trade-off. You're going to have to make a trade-off for some of the privacy that you're comfortable. And that varies from person to person for the personalization or just deal with a lack of personalization and keep everything remarkably private. 
what I'd like to see, and I think what the world would like to see, is that the power of making that decision sits in the user's hands. Right now, it's incredibly difficult to make that decision. It's almost made for almost everyone. It's really hard to keep your personal information private because things have gotten really smart on the algorithm side to weed out exactly who you are, how you think, what you do. And so that's the shift I think we'll likely see in the near future. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for that. Moving on a little bit, you know, earlier we were speaking, you mentioned that one of the things that you wish you had done earlier is learn how to program. Why is that? Programming. Wow. Yeah. That is one of the things that I wish I'd picked up a little bit earlier in life. I think so much of understanding what happens with your data and what people are scraping is understanding and being able to read the code. And also when you know how to program and you know how to build, you can start to tailor things to your experience and to your liking. I think we're headed to a space, and we've been saying it for a really long time, where coding and learning a programming language is going to be as common as learning to read and write. I'm already starting to see it with my kids. That's a skill that I'm hoping to embed in them really early on. As we get deeper and deeper into things, being able to program and being able to code becomes more of an essential skill in everything we do than it has been in the past. And I think it's also about kind of, you know, where folks feel that they'd be able to take back that control. And so it's almost like digital literacy 101. This is going to be a a big part of it as we move forward. And I wish I had uh, picked it up a, a lot earlier. So I'm assuming that means you can code now. That would be a massive overstatement. I dabble, (laughs) but you know, it's something that I pick up a little bit more and more every time I have the spare time to do it. So I was messing around during the December holiday in Solidity to learn how to generate and mint NFTs and, and push a smart contract into the blockchain. And so a little bit of that, but I would say it was guided by some other professionals and I was asking a lot of questions, mm. but I'm a lot further along now than I had been in the past. And so I'm going to keep doing that until I understand what I need to, to feel confident, but it's always something that you're going to constantly be learning, right? New languages come up, new updates come up, but getting the core in place is critical. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Lots of people are saying you learning to code is going to be like learning a language, yet we find it so difficult to find really good developers. So as much as there's so many people who have learned to code, there's still just this massive skill shortage. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's something we'll see uh, change in time as it becomes more critical to doing basic things online, right? At the moment, so much is done for you. It's really easy. But I think that's going to be ingrained in a younger generation. We're already seeing, I mean, if you think about during the social economy, If I look back at my childhood, there's no way I would have known how to edit and crop and put things to music within a video. And now everyone has that power in the palm of their hand and every kid could probably shoot an Oscar winning movie on their iPhone. So it's skills that kind of come over a period of time. And before we know it, it'll just seem completely natural that kids are building their own things. Just look at Roblox, right? It's not full coding, but there are a ton of ways to build your own world in that space. So it's not just playing a video game. You can now build your own video game and immerse yourself in it. And I think that's where we're headed. That's incredible. So on digital surfing, we both talk about the ups and the downs. So I want to go and ride that wave now of failures and challenges that you've experienced along your kind of career path. Can you now describe one of the like kind of biggest things that didn't quite go to plan? What happened there? 
Yeah, I always joke that I think failure is a lot more important than success because it's where you learn the most. And I think that's really cliche. I think failure has become a bit of a, a buzzword. And so the optics of failure versus true failure, where you hit complete rock bottom and pick yourself up from that point is those two things are very, very different in experience. I think resilience is probably one of the, the best qualities you can find in someone that you bring into your team. Just the ability to fail and pick themselves up and try again. It's very easy to pivot away from stuff after an initial failure. But one of the things that I bumped my head on was we had this idea of pulling multiple APIs into a natural language processing algorithm and surfacing up trends in a really interesting way from the news and from social and from a host of other things. And we built a prototype out. It was great. It was a remarkable prototype. But you learn very quickly that just because you've built something cool doesn't make it an instant hit, right? You need to learn to scale it. And we just couldn't get away from some of the, the cost-based scaling issues. And so, you know, someone had said to me, everyone loves the idea of a private plane, right? There's so much cool technology in it and you have this incredible experience with it, but everyone, most people fly economy. And that was just like a learning. It's like, you can go full steam ahead, sky's the limit, build that supercar. But at the end of the day, you've got to think a little bit more practically in terms of building for scales as well. And so there was a lot of time and effort and energy invested in this project. I still, to this day, pretty proud of what we had built, but it's it got shelved for two or three years. And so all of that work felt wasted, but it's just like recently coming to the fore again where people are like, oh, remember that thing? Can you apply some of those learnings now that we have the ability to scale in this place and that place? And so not all was wasted. There was a ton of learning there that we've been able to put to use in a number of different situations. And we're back on that train again. But that was a very disappointing moment, right? Because you build all these expectations around something like this is going to be amazing. Look at all the incredible things it can do. And then there's that heartbreak and not seeing something you've built work the way that it should or take off the way that it should. Most entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs feel that way. You invest a lot of energy and love into something. But if you can use that failure paired with your resilience to move forward in an interesting way, you've got a true winning formula, but it's more of an emotional journey than it is a hard skill set that you need to embrace when learning to work with failure or in the, in the realm of failure. And if you had to do it all again, what would you do differently? Nothing. I wouldn't give up those valuable lessons for anything. I would want to bump my head all the same way because the failures of yesterday are going to be the successes of tomorrow. If you don't make those failures, you're probably doomed to make them a little bit later on with possibly a higher cost. So I wouldn't trade that failure and the knowledge that I got from it for anything. That's quite profound. While we're talking about stuff like that, let me ask you about your views on the future in digital. What do you think, two or three points, where do you think we're heading? Oh, that's a meaty one. I know where I'd like us to be and where I think we're going to be. I think this concept of the metaverse isn't really going to go away. We're right at the top of the Gartner curve of the hype cycle, and we're about to hit what they call the trough of disillusionment with some of these. But I think once the hype is all gone and you are dealing with the practical elements of what this all is, is we're going to move to an infinitely more digital world that's more immersive. You know, we're so used to looking at screens as our primary source of information. Screens and lenses are going to be our layer with which we augment our physical experience. And so I think we're headed to like an extended or mixed reality type experience that feels more natural and that has a greater degree of utility in everything we do. So I think that's firstly 
one of the pieces that the future of digital is connected to. The other is, is I think we're going to solve the privacy issue for the most part, the privacy and security issue. There is obviously a lot of money in data. And so that is kind of the tipping point and the barrier to entry. But I think as we move into spaces where the internet is being reinvented, that's me stopping from saying Web3 another time. We'll move into a space where you have greater control as a creator and greater access no matter where you come from and who you are. And so that's going to be an exciting thing to see. So I'd say those are the two pieces we're going to see really flourish in the future. But I just don't know how far off they are. I think we're still a way away from getting there, but we're on the right track. Really interesting. All right. So let's end off today with my always last question, which is if you could tell your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Stay away from high calorie beer. Um, (laughs) Your metabolism will eventually stop working. No, if I could give my younger self any advice at all, is don't be so hard on yourself. Failure is part of it. As part of the journey and it's part of the learnings. I wish I had learned that actually a lot earlier in life is that you're not defined by your failures and your successes, but by the sum of your total experience over time. And so embrace both the failures and successes in equal measure and you won't go wrong. Ah, awesome. Very cool. Plus, I really like the beer advice. I absolutely, <laughs> absolutely support that. I need to run a whole lot more nowadays, having not listened to that advice earlier on. Jared, thanks so much for joining us on Digital Surfing today. It's been really an honor having you on it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great.